Grow Great is a city government leadership podcast with Lisa Norris and me, Randy Cantrell. Each week we share insights, experiences, and wisdom to help you and your leadership grow great. Our website is growgreat.com. With us today is Jason Little. Jason is a city manager for the city of Melissa, and we're glad to have you, Jason. Welcome. Thank you so much for both y'all's time today. Jason, you've got a uh, you got a story that I had told you before we hit record that we wanted to share with the audience. We get, I get, probably as much feedback on people listening to other people's story of just kind of how we got there and and things. Yeah. It's kind of funny the things that resonate with people, but we're happy to give our audience more of what they want. So, Lisa and I've kind of made a commitment that everybody that we've got, as much as they're willing to share kind of their journey and where they came from, you know, pull the curtain back however far you want to, but introduce yourself to the folks. Uh, my name is Jason Little. I'm city manager of Melissa, Texas. I've been here, just finished my 16th year as city manager. Uh, I Before that, I was with the city of Hearst for seven years, so... A little uh, almost 25 years in the profession and quite a bit has changed uh some for the good some for the um now i feel like my parents are going you know i wish it was wish it was like it was back in the good old days you know the good old <laughs> days before social media and and uh you know just that kind of engagement so yeah glad to be here um let's let's see where this goes so how did you how did you get into this game oh Probably, well, everything in my career, I look back and say it's it's by accident or by luck. And I'll take I'll take it's never by design. And I'll take that. Um, I was ending my undergraduate at Sam Houston in the late 90s. And I was having a lot of fun and I didn't really want the fun to end. And I went to uh, one of my professors who kind of had taken me under his wing and he said, hey, Jason, what are you going to do now? So, well, I don't think I really want to leave. I think I'm going to go be a teacher. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't go and do that. You, you, you don't, you're not going to like that profession because Sam Houston had a really, really good education program. And I wanted to stay there. And he said, I, I think you need to try something bigger. And so you need to go get your master's degree. And I was in political science. Uh, he goes, go get your master's degree. And then, hey, you can even teach. You can teach with the master's degree. You can do a little bit, bit of background. But I think you're, the master's degree, that path is where you want to go. And he's smarter than me. So I, I, I started looking up um, professions or programs in, in North Texas. I mean, North Texas has 150 cities and these you know 16 plus counties. If I wanted to be in city government, which sounded interesting, I was going to go to the place that had a whole lot of cities. And so I came up to uh, University of Texas at Arlington. They, I'd gotten a, uh, a graduate research position with the school. Um, so I thought I could still live that younger, carefree life and still kind of go to school at night and uh, ultimately needed the internship. Uh, that was part of the requirement at UTA. I uh, started with the city of Hearst as an intern on January 3rd of 2000. So right after the world was supposed to end at Y2K. So the young people don't probably remember that one, but the, the world did not yeah, end. The world that we're supposed to, you're right. That's right. The world did not end. And, it did not. <laughs> and so uh was with Hearst and various uh, uh, capacities for about seven years and really liked 
just kind of happened again, having to fall into it really liked uh, what city management seemed to be. And I was to that point where I wanted to find out for myself. Uh, Melissa was uh, advertising this position. Uh, they were really, really good. The former mayor, uh, the mayor at that time was really good about uh positioning Melissa and talking about it and um, so much so I couldn't find the truth. So the truth was what came out of his his mouth and um, they were looking for somebody younger to stay here for a while. And that sounded like a really good experience for me because it was Hearst was a developed community going through redevelopment and some issues like that. Melissa was 100% in high growth mode. And uh, so it sounded interesting. Uh, sounded like a, a real chance for me to find out at, in my late twenties um, if this is the field I wanted to be in. Otherwise, I needed to pivot and find something different. And uh, found it. God was uh, fortunate enough to get the job offer, and I've been here ever since. You know, it's so interesting because people hear these stories, and like you said, you had somebody saying they saw something bigger or different for you. And I think it's so important for our audience to hear this because it's so easy to assume that that means teaching isn't a noble profession profession, or this isn't a noble profession, or you need to do something better than that profession. And it's not really about that. It's about people seeing in you and each of us and us as leaders seeing in them what they might be better armed for or mm -hmm. geared toward. Right. And in getting that match in those different places, I think it's so, it's so important that we identify those things in people. What a great testament to those that impacted that pivotal point in your life to redirect, redirect you to something they thought you would be uh, aligned for, maybe better at um, than the teaching route that you are originally heading. Um, well, and the so reality, what, what, what I've learned and uh I'll give him props because I, I think about him a lot. And it's Dr. Domino at Sam Houston. He he was the one. And I'm glad he he had the uh, I'm glad he took the time to tell me that. Yeah. Because in, in reality, what I what I thought I liked about teaching, we do here every day. It's a different That's environment. Right. Uh, That's right. And so, I've got a teaching background. So I totally I totally understand that. And teaching, you know, I didn't teach either. I have a teaching degree, mm -hmm. but it's Although we laugh about it sometimes, I say, you know, sometimes teaching adults is like teaching first graders. It's play nice <laughs> in the sandbox. Don't take other people's things, <laughs> you know, but you learn to teach. We have curriculum, we have projects, we have, we're getting people involved and together. I mean, there's so many aspects of those strengths that play to so many different jobs. Uh, and for even for me, although I have a teaching degree and wanted to teach, human resources is direct equivalent that aligned perfectly, right, sure. with that skill set, just like he saw in you. And we love to give testament uh, to those individuals to see that in us. And I'm glad you had that as well. I've I'm had kidding. that in my career. And, you know, quite frankly, it's it's also that pay it forward idea is that, you know, sometimes we know you you, uh, you get to the, some point in your career and you see people the younger and you go, I know where you are. Kind of, I, I understand that where, mm -hmm. what you're struggling with and, and, I never forget that somebody helped me. And sometimes that um, sometimes that means telling them what, you know, just information that they may not know and see for themselves. And, you know, it's not always promoting what I want for them, but it's the opportunity to say, hey, if you may want to look at these other things or just be open to the open to the idea. 
Jason, go back to your first year in that seat as the city manager, Melissa. And in that first year, what, 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 what one, what one or, or two or more big things, you know, hit you that you just absolutely didn't see coming anything. Sure. Um, when I think a lot of going backwards, of course, um, there's a lot of misconceptions about smaller communities, you know, I, uh, a, a mentor of mine as I was approaching taking this this job uh, and someone who I called a friend was he he'd never had small town experience. And so, I mean, I still remember we had these conversations and I was like, hey, man, you're going to be a dog catcher. You know that and I'm going, I'm not going to be a dog catcher. But you know what? <laughs> be- because what he taught me was that you do whatever it takes to to get the job done. And I, I was willing to say, OK, if in the event he's right and I'm going to be a dog catcher. I'm going to be a really good one. I'm going to try my best. So, uh, you know, I think it's um, going back to that first year. It was kind of that realization that, wow, this is. Nobody talks too much about the small town path. And because I think sometimes. um, Well, I know I I was I always believed that bigger was better. And and I guess it's just different. I mean, it's it's not right or wrong. It's not good or bad. It's just different. And. I knew immediately that, wow, this is a really awesome opportunity because, I mean, I remember way early, the very, very early versions of SimCity. And this that's what you're playing in these smaller communities. You're building something and there are no blueprints. Um, you don't do it like your neighbor. Uh, you do it like, you know, you make your own. And so, I mean, just that. The, the ability to, to recognize that, wow, this is a huge, tremendous responsibility I've been given, but wow, what a, but it's a blank canvas. So high level of responsibility. Um, so really excited in that first year, but kind of felt like, oh, I could really screw this up if I'm not careful. So what we'll talk about the early team building. So I don't know what kind of direct report responsibility you had at Hearst, but now you get there and now you're the, you're in the number one seat. Yeah. So now yeah. So we had uh, probably had about ten reports at the time, which was quite a few uh, across divisions that I knew nothing about. I mean, at best, if I characterize my background, I was a generalist. I knew a little bit about a lot of things, but I, I was never in the water. I mean, never in the water industry, so I didn't know about water delivery. And uh, quite frankly, in a highly developed but very professional community like Hearst, some of the issues about like water extensions and water breaks and things like that were just never something on my radar. Uh, but it's it's the building blocks of a community. So I get here, I get 10, 10, about 10 direct reports. Quite frankly, I don't think any of them had any city experience besides what they had in Melissa. So but but what I did know was that they really loved their job and they were really committed to it. And I think there was initially some fear, like, here comes this person from another community and they're going to come in and bring their own people. And, you know, so I had to work really hard for a while to say, you know, you have the ability to make this yours and I want to help you. I'm not here to change it. Now, if we can't get on the same page, then maybe the changes will have to be made. But quite frankly, I still have that original 10. I think I probably have five left. Um only two didn't work out. The rest retired. I still have five of those original people with me 16 and a half years later. 
So awesome. really good. It was, it was, it's, it was really good to give them the opportunity and the kind of that safety net to grow because quite frankly, I was growing too. I mean, I, I knew, I knew enough, but I knew about local government from a developed community, not a growing community, uh, not one that you're just every day, you're kind of pivoting and, and, and evolving. And I, I, probably one of the best things is just keeping them here. They, they, that they, they stepped up their game because they were, I knew they were able, but they're also willing. So, um, so yeah, some of those people are still here with me. How did you, um, as you're looking at what you needed, so this is a, a just thriving, growing community. You guys got a Bucky's. I was telling you, I yeah. stopped there. <laughs> and, and that's, I mean, that's, that is huge. We, we love Bucky's. That's on the way to our land. That's just a thing, right? Sure. But that's, that's even in a small community, that's huge. Um, they don't just go everywhere, right? They mm -hmm. are selective. And, and I think that's great that you got it. But as you're looking at that, and you mentioned that people have misconceptions about small communities. You often hear where you're going to have to be the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker. You're going to have to do everything. The dog catcher. Yes, the dog catcher. <laughs> do you find that your roles do, you have people that have to be pretty diverse that can do multiple things as they come up that maybe not in their wheelhouse, but they're good, hardworking people that can learn it? Yeah, uh, that's that's been the philosophy since I've been here. Okay. Um, so one thing that is... You know, it, the best thing I can say about small towns or just ever, these evolving communities is that you make choices. And, you know, in, in some larger communities, resources are pretty um, robust. So you don't really have to make big choices. I mean, you can do a little bit of everything and do it really well. And nobody knows the difference. In the smaller community, you have to make choices. And one of the things that um, I think has been pretty clear for me since I've been here is that uh, my predecessor and I, I kept the board for a while. He had a big white board and he had a military background. So he was, if you looked at, you know, year to year growth, it was like every year we were supposed to get, by the time I was here for three years, we should have had like 150 employees. 16 years later, I think I have 85. And he was focused on building like the military, building an army, and but we had high growth and I thought it was always more important that that growth gets reinvested back in the community so that those that choose to live here because it's a choice they choose to live here they have a really good quality of life it's safe it's clean transportation's good the parks are good all the services that we that we're expected to provide are done at a really high level but in a smaller community I can't do that and grow the organization so we have to make choices and uh, because councils tend to expect that reinvestment in the community, um, it, it just it seemed that it is the right thing to do. But how do you do that and still have this uh, uh, deliver these services? About eight years ago, I started this. Uh, I partnered with a firm that I just happened to meet again by luck. And uh, we were doing talent assessments. So we switched our HR, our selection side or incorporated within the selection process, uh, an evaluation about talent, underlying talent, because I may need you to be a utility billing supervisor, but I also want to know what are your innate strengths that I may need to tap into? Because 
We have a smaller organization, like I said. So I need talented people. I don't need a lot of employees. I need really talented ones. Ones that can do the job that they're hired for, but also kind of when times are tough or when situations present themselves, I know I have talent that I can pull across the organization, kind of across department team to say, let's solve this problem. And, you know, I, we it's always dangerous to compare cities because they're just so different. But when we look at our area cities, uh, we, we, try, we compare kind of just organizational size because you can't compare Melissa to McKinney. If you put them on a, t- a common denominator, you can make some observations, but there's nothing that's there's no absolutes in that. So when we look at area cities around us, they have about seven employees per thousand. And we deliver what we do at about 2.8 employees per thousand. So the talent assessment is really, really important. And so uh, one of my favorite people to watch on TV is Alton Brown. He's a chef. He always talks about the single purpose, uh, never buy the single purpose kitchen utensil because you only use it for one thing. It takes space. And I always think about when we hire, we're hiring people who are not, they're here for maybe a single purpose, but they're multifaceted so that when we have opportunities or problems or whatever, I have a vast amount of talent within the organization that pretty confident that whatever comes up, I've got the resources internal to help me. It's so important that you, uh, I, I think that's an amazing way to look at it because each each person can bring different talents and it so many people, and I know sometimes you need the specific strength. You need, if you need utilities or you need engineering, they obviously need to have their engineering, you know, degrees or PE or whatever you need. But so many times it really comes down to being a strategic leader. Do you have the vision to see what needs to be done and you can get it done? Um, you can get people on your side. You can uh, understand how projects work. You can learn quickly about what's important and make sure you're aligning it with the organization's goals. So that's 80% so much of our leadership and good people that can carry you through storms and help you achieve so much. If you have that, if you, if you, I always call it hiring, right. If you hire Mm -hmm. right and hire the right people that fit your culture and fit your needs and fit your strengths, but also bring a perspective that maybe you don't have, that's where you find so much value in high performing teams. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I totally agree. I mean, it's, the talent it doesn't work. It, it, it's it's different for everybody, but I mean, and now we are kind of in this hiring crunch, and my employees are high. I mean, I think we we do as part of this process, we do an annual kind of a temperature assessment. Like eighty eight percent of the employees are highly engaged and highly satisfied. So I think they're, you know, I think they're going to be here for a while, which is benefit. So. With between the, like I said, the investment or the focus on the capital reinvestment and this talent assessment, you know, we can do both. We just do it differently. That's so the awesome. talent assessment has clearly worked. That's it, right. It's worked very well. I mean, um, ironically, not ironically, I mean, when the talent assessment comes back, because there are some thresholds where in these talent assessments, they, they, they do not recommend to move forward with the candidate. And in this few times where we've been desperate because we hit that too, we went forward and, and then sure enough, it's like, wait a minute, let's go back to the assessment. They can't make decisions. Hmm, what issues are we having today? It's right. It's right. <laughs> yeah. so, so it is working. It is working. And, and quite frankly, kind of the great minds think alike. Um, the 
synergy amongst the teams when they get together is something pretty impressive to watch because again, they're all their talents are going to be all different, but they have this this multifaceted approach that when they get together, they can these cross department teams can really do a good job. And because they start with like a an innate sense of understanding each other. And and again, we work we work pretty closely. So there's no strangers really in our organization. But it again, these things were by luck. So it's been nice to be and I feel lucky and blessed that we can invest in the community. So residents' lives are really good today. And then we still have the right employees here who can help deliver that at a high level. If you go back probably, eight years, oh, go ahead, Randy. If you go back eight years before that assessment and having to confront maybe the person that they they just they do not fit and having to have those difficult conversations i would assume would i be correct in the assumption that in the last eight years you haven't had to have as many of those kind of conversations no no not at all uh now again before we started doing this one of the challenge was that we were looking for talented employees but we didn't have the strongest compensation or benefits so it was how hard you push that talent level or what are you willing to accept because you knew you were kind of short in some of these areas, but you know, the council has been very supportive of making sure that this program is part of our process and in doing so, they also have up the salary and, you know, are just that we are more competitive across the board. And so it makes it easier to hold that bar and you're right. We don't have to have those conversations. Now, one of the things that Lisa may she'll I'll see how she responds to this part of this process is that we actually have quarterly reviews. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the organization no. of quarterly <laughs> reviews? Not but with 1700 people, no, but I, it's not a bad idea. It's, it's just it's a lot not of a structure. So here's kind of the ironic part. So people, when we said we're doing this quarterly evaluation and, and, um, you know, it becomes more of a conversation, less of a tool. Like I'm, you know, we're not calculating 4.2 employees out of five. But what happens is that when you go through this process and you create these quarterly conversations, when you're having the conversation again and again with the same employees, next thing you know, you look up and you've got a file this thick and you go, I've got to do something. Convert, I mean, pivot that to what we traditionally do. And, and I get people that say, hey, employee XYZ is not working out. I'm like, okay, let me see the file. Well, I don't have one. Well, you got to start today. So this Quarterly, that I am familiar with. Yes, yes. This quarterly <laughs> conversation. I mean, it, it when when it comes, unfortunately, when it comes time to cut the dead weight or just kind of move from a different move on from an employee. When you when they stay committed to this process, everyone the light bulb goes off and they go, "Now I know. Now I appreciate why we do it this way." Because when it's time, you know it's time. You can't fool yourself anymore. I was going to say earlier that you're you know you keep referring to luck, but I. It may have a lot to do with luck, but it's also certainly got to do with leadership because obviously you are mm -hmm. you are creating an organization that thinks in the same way and that is again we Randy and I always talk about high performing teams, mm -hmm. but you're creating a culture that draws that kind of person to your organization and that you can find so many people are looking for that, which I wouldn't be surprised if typically on those folks, it's not money. It's not the driver. It's the environment. It's the culture. Yeah. It is the in inclusivity, you know, of being part of a team mm -hmm. and coming, love coming to work every day. That's, that's intent. And it sounds like you are driving a culture that expects that from everybody you hire, that that's the same feeling you want pushed down 
through your, I think you said 80 something people, correct? That's correct. Yeah. So that's so important. The, the other comment I was going to make is I love the fact when you talked about the quarterly reviews, you and I approach it similarly, but different. Mm-hmm. And the, the, you're wanting them to have the conversations routinely and prove it up. We do the same thing, except in Grand Prairie, we don't have reviews. We yeah. we went across the leaders and said, we expect you to lead, which means there should never be a surprise when you do a discipline. You sure. should be able to Absolutely. produce to HR, right? Like your quarterly reports, you should be able to produce to HR that you've had conversations with them that hopefully have escalated if it didn't fix itself. So mm-hmm. they understand, you've told me I need to correct it. I didn't correct it. And therefore, there's an outcome that you cannot be surprised about, right? So I think we just want good leaders to lead well. Um, Don't leave your employees and don't don't not have crucial conversations because that doesn't help anybody. So you're right. I mean, some of this, you make your own luck too. But I I think one thing when I said started from the beginning was that people don't, an additional value of a smaller organization and community is that there's a lot of latitude to grow. You know, you go, you know, I think I would, I think I know myself well at this point, I would have a hard time. I think I'd have a hard time going into an organization where the norms are set for you and that this is, you know, we've been doing it this way forever. So you can't, you can't find your way. You can't shift. You can't, yeah. Yeah, You can't evolve. You can't just kind of just figure out what works better uh, if there is. And, I think that's one thing with the smaller communities is that when a lot of these smaller communities, particularly kind of in North Texas, where we're seeing a lot of this high growth, communities are looking for people to come in and help lead. And when they in that kind of transactional exchange there, they also give you a lot of latitude to try to figure that out for yourself. So it's safe in that way. You can figure out what works because, quite frankly, when you come in, you know, God willing, you have a high level of trust with your elected officials and community. And, you you know, everything you're doing is under the guise of making us better, either be be prepared or, you know, just be better. And I think when it comes to leadership, it's kind of hard to experiment if there is no tolerance for failure. And failure can be, you know, of course, defined differently by everybody, uh, but when you get to these smaller organizations and it's a real opportunity to be as creative as you want. And that, that appeals to me very much. So it's just give me the creativity to try to find a solution. And, and maybe I fail a couple of times, but it doesn't work. I back up. I try to pick it up from there and try again. And just the fact that you kind of get that support to keep moving forward, even if it's, you know, because again, at the end, everyone knows you're trying to be better. And that's one thing I think people sh- really should know about a smaller organization is that um, if, you, if you like that creativity, sometimes you're giving up that in a whole lot more than you are in these very established organizations. How was your There's, leadership philosophy formed and, and how would you describe it? You know, I, I don't know. I don't know how it was formed. Um you know, from a background perspective, I was the first, I, I have a, my sister and I were the first in my family to ever go to college. So I don't, you know, it wasn't like a, um, a parental push, I think. But when I look back at my parents, I think they're always 
pushing me to do the right thing. And that, that was an expectation that no matter how different my parents' backgrounds are from mine at this point in our lives, um, it was always about doing the right thing. And, and just kind of, you never have to, you never have to, um, be scared to look in the mirror when you do the right thing. It may not work out, but you know why you did it. And, um, yeah, I think it's just this, I had this internal drive that I don't want to fail. <laughs> I think, uh, and I don't want those people because I mean, it's bigger than our community, but I don't want those people to be right. So, uh, it's well, the that, organization is clearly a reflection of you as, as in my experience, I have found most every city. I'm not saying there aren't exceptions, but the, certainly the ones that I have been intimately acquainted with and worked with. Uh, the, the city and the culture is a reflection of that leader. And it's not judgment about how people go. Lisa and I've had conversations on this show. Uh, tyranny works at some <laughs> level. I don't advise, I don't advise it, but you know, uh, there's so much latitude for people's personality. And that's why that, that assessment really intrigues me uh, of people's strengths. And yet we're coming from all different kinds of backgrounds. We're coming with different worldviews and different viewpoints of even how we fit in the world. And yet your, your small band of people there, 85 by comparison to a grand Prairie is, is living proof that, that it can work. But it seems to me, that's also a testimony to your philosophy of, you know, let's give this a go. Let's try things. You're not just siloed in the particular space that you that right. has your job title involved. I told somebody the other day, a director who was asking me about people in your position. And I said, well, what, what do you think the number one question that a person in a city manager's chair would ask when faced with a, with a challenge and the guess, which is almost always the case. Uh, the guess was how I said, what one word question, how, and I said, no, that's not the question. And he, he looked at me puzzled and I said, their question is who, who, who can we get to help us with this? And it's the same question that city managers and number one position CEOs and companies ask when, when faced with a dilemma is who can we rely on, you know, which again, our terminology here on the podcast, Jason is, you know, we, we lead people, we manage the work and sure. so it still is all about people. Cause you can't, you might have to be the dog catcher one day, but you can't be the dog catcher all the time. Sure. Yeah. So you still have to rely on other people. I'm curious your perspective on all that. Well, I mean, I always tell people that, I mean, it's probably same for others, but what I know is this, and we are a high, I mean, the only way to do our job is people and people bring their stuff to the workplace and, and, but they're with us probably more than they are with our families. I mean, we are with our work families more than we are probably at home. And I think that's when we go back and we look for talent and, and we look for what energizes people. What drives we, them. Mm -hmm. What drives them. Because I think then ultimately when we think about our community, they get the best of us. If we can find, if we can figure out our own why. Now you're right that, you know, the a big part of this, um, and it's, I guess it's this way in larger organizations, but it is here. It's 
when we have an issue, it's like, who can help us? Because quite frankly, I'm not going to spend time trying to say, you know, when, like, for example, we had a, uh, our utility billing software a few years ago gave us 30 days. And we had a, we had a complete outsource, 100%. Lisa will probably go, what? He did what? Uh, they We're had through call- utility billing right now. <laughs> yeah. They had, they had a call center. They, I mean, we pretty much had one or two staff members and everything else was handled out of a call center in Phoenix. A software automatic meter system that was kind of state of the art, a little bit aggressive in that contracting out, but um, we thought that was a, a, a good a good solution as opposed to growing that internal service. And uh, November of 2019, I'm watching football. I get an email saying, uh, "30 days, your your utility billing system is no longer here." So we produce bills every 30 days. So very quickly instead of a lot and there were probably i think three other communities in north texas doing the same thing and there was a lot of and and there's i think 75 across the country dealing with this and everyone's asking like how can you do this how can you do this and the first thing we're talking about is who can come help us because we the writing was on the wall i mean if quite frankly the why didn't matter at this point because the urgency was there so i i think it's a it is a re- it, in these smaller uh, organizations, the reality that we have a lot of talent, but we also need to be very clear as to when it's time to get more help and say who can step in. So uh, it, it's a reality. I mean, because if if we start to become too egotistical that everything can be solved by us, I don't think we find the best solutions for our community. We always talk about humility not being yes. the smartest person in the room, nor feeling like you need to be. I mean, you got to rely on others who may have more knowledge in that at the time so that sure. you can get things done and done well. I love the fact that you also talked about, uh, you know, failure. We we talk about mistakes here. We, we always tell people you're allowed to make mistakes. In fact, our former city manager, Tom Hart, used to say, if you're not making mistakes, you're not working fast enough, right. <laughs> you know? And so we just kind of expect mistakes at the pace but they, we always tell people, just don't repeat them. If you didn't repeat them, you didn't. I mean, if you repeat them, you're not learning from them. Right. So it's okay to have a hiccup. Let's fix the hiccup and prevent it from happening again um, so that we aren't repeating those things. And then we, I think we've mentioned this on the show before, Randy, uh, with perspective, Thomas Edison's quote, I have not failed. I just found 10,000 ways that didn't work, <laughs> <laughs> you know? So it's all perspective as long as you embrace that. And that's the culture that, you know, we just need to work through it. Uh, that, like you said, it didn't matter why they couldn't do utility billing. That wasn't the issue. You know, it was ending in 30 days. The issue is who can we get to help us get to a new system within 30 days. So the billing continues. That's right. Um, you know, that's right. and I always tell people this, it's, it, I mean, it, there's a big, there's a big difference between being a gambler and a risk taker. We've got to be a risk taker because, you know, when you're taking risks, you're doing it smart and gambling, you're you're just you're throwing something out there and making a guess. But, you know, if we really want to make the best solutions in these high hyper growth scenarios, we got to be risk takers because doing be nothing. But because I think probably in leadership, the one thing that people don't appreciate is that doing nothing is a choice. It's a very deliberate choice and you're going to get an outcome. And ultimately, it's because you did nothing. And I, I mean, I always tell people that's not illegal, immoral, or unethical. I am your safety net. That's right. And let's be risk, let's be risk takers because let's 
let's learn how it's always been done because that's that's probably a very tried and true way. But let's find out is there anything else that can push this again for the better result for our community. And, so and many, if it doesn't, we'll pivot. We'll do the old, we'll, we'll do the same old, same old. But let's yeah. try let's try something first. The worst words that any of us hate is that's the way we've always done it. That is not a good answer for me. And when I get that answer, I just cringe. I'm like, okay, let's try that again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I didn't, I didn't hear you right. What? That's say? right. What? What did you just say? It's also when I I can't. That's not my job. That's my other. Those are my two freaky uh, buttons. But all that to be said is you do have to, you know, the challenge for all of us is like you said, when you have really good tenure in your group, you've had the same, you know, at least five of the same people here. Sometimes it's all that they know. So it's just pushing them to explore. Um, not that they don't want to implement somebody. Sometimes it really is all they know, but let's sure. go find something that, and find options that are out there. As long as they're eager to learn, um, you can you can successfully get around that perspective of, well, this is the way we've always done it. True. But let me go see what's out there that we might can try that's different or new or like you said, risk that's new on the market. Uh, we always say we don't want to be bleeding edge, but we want to be leading edge. So sometimes we aren't the bleeders. You may be at the perspective. We may be on the bleeding edge. We may try something brand new um, and we're OK with that. But every organization has their risk level, like you said, correct? Absolutely. I mean, you just have to I, know I, where that line is. <laughs> that's right. I mean, I, I just tell people I, I don't always want to be first to be first. I kind of want to be first to be second. <laughs> once you <laughs> show me how it works, and once I know it's you know, we want to be on. We want to kind of be on that that part. But sure. Yeah. Yeah. So you do quarterly reviews. My question for you would be: as a city manager, what is what is what describe for us the level of interaction? on any regular basis that you have with direct reports or anybody in the organization? What does that look like? So it, it, it is generally unstructured. I mean, it's so my the consulting company comes in, we, we talk quarterly, uh, every director, every supervisor talks about their team, talks about, you know, kind of what what is what's going on, what's going well with each person, where they need to grow. And based on that, I mean, it takes a couple hours to have that that discussion with with the consultant. Um, we kind of get a, you know, like for me, we've reorganized now. Now I have five direct reports, so I, I touch base with all five. Sometimes it's just, hey, tell me what you need from me. How are things? You're doing a really good job. Let's talk about these other things. And sometimes it's more philosophical, but on but when it comes to the ones who are needing help or are kind of uh, need need to have that correction. We talk more about um, the incident and what they or the the situation and, and maybe what they don't have. You know, is, it, is this an issue about not having clarity, not having support, not understanding? What is it? And so it, it but it is not very. It is more of a conversation. It's and it's it's very fluid because it, it doesn't happen the same way. But wait again, what you do know is if I'm talking. To the same person every single month, you know, then or every single quarter, then that's telling me what that's speaking loudly to me. How do you uh, integrate? See, when you, you you mentioned you do these assessments on candidates as well, correct? Yes. So how do you do you do a I've seen a lot of different ways to do this. I'm curious how you all do it. Do you have certain members of your executive team 
review an executive candidate or other employees review incoming candidates? Or is it really, how do, how do y'all manage that process so, to get a fit for the team? Right. So essentially um, we have, we do our, the traditional sense. We'll have a, you know, just depends on the level and the, and the organization. We'll have a, a peer review. We'll have, um, you know, it, it just depends, but we'll, we'll have the traditional element. But what happens, like, we'll take someone, um, uh, I, I'm about to hire a police chief, or we're going to start the process uh, of recruiting a new police chief. Our police chief's retiring uh, in August. So we'll do the recruitment in the spring, and we'll probably do um, some uh, peer evaluations, peer interviews, and then, be but before they get to me, so before I sit down with the whatever going to be deemed the finalist, uh, the consultant will come in and they'll do their own. So we will coordinate the any, and this happens no matter what level of the organization, the consultant will interview the finalist candidates. And it's a very, their, their process is very open-ended. It's a lot of questions. It probably takes about 90 minutes to finish. So it is a commitment on the candidate to do. And um, not a lot of guidance uh, by, to the candidate about the what you're looking for and the answers is just answer the question. I mean, I'm the one who started this. And then when they assessed me, I, they kept asking me a question. Well, tell me about a time you did this. I'm like, well, are you looking for this or this? And Mr. Little, please answer the question. I'm going. And finally, I'm about ready to throw my phone going. And but they don't they don't guide you on that. And then based on the the findings of the interview, then we get a talent assessment on, I think it's 17 different traits. Uh, empathy, you know, uh, team building, you know, all these things. And then they'll, what we use that for is that if, if we are going to like with this police chief, when, when they go through the uh, human X process with, the, with us, anything that they're kind of short on, that's how I'm going to use. I'll use that information to dig deeper with a candidate. Cause at this point, when I interview them there, it doesn't, I don't need to, they, they're qualified to do the job. I mean, they're, they've passed all the requisite backgrounds to be in there. And so for me, I use my time with the candidate on the things that I think that they're soft in, or at least through the evaluation that I need to dig in a little bit more. So things that they're really good at, I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on because they're likely in that room in that interview because they are good at that. It's the things that I'm seeing that, that don't come across strongly, you know, in the other assessments that I, that's how I spend my time with the candidates. So much of the soft skills, if you don't dig in, um, I think the way you're handling that is amazing because so many people look for the technical skills mm -hmm. and we're trying to change thinking in the industry that it's not about the 100 times they've done the same skill over and over, right? We're right. looking for what are the areas that they are, they are challenged with? How do they relate to stress and how do they, what motivates them to sure. do a good job every day? Because through it's, it's funny when you ask different questions, like you said, you're focu focusing on the gaps essentially that you mm -hmm. see right from the assessment that brings out so much to determine fit. If you don't ask those questions, you can't figure out, will they work here? They may work somewhere else. Great. But sure. will they work here? really well and be part of our team and get along with everybody um, because you do want differing perspectives and you want to bring strengths where maybe the organization doesn't have those. So they can also fill gaps for you in addition to being mm -hmm. 
a fit with the culture and style that you're looking for. And that's really important when you're hiring somebody and probably why you're having so much success because you are focusing on that and not just what they can do technically as a police chief. Yeah, because I think we thought, I mean, without this assessment for us, I'll, I mean, we'll take utility billing. I, I need someone who can process payments and uh, understand the general system, but if they have no empathy. What are we going to be dealing with? I'm going to be dealing with complaints that your, util- your utility billing clerk, I can't pay my bill. I need help. And your your staff treats me like crap. And you go, okay, I don't, I don't want to deal with that. That's a, and what happens is we've seen those people and you go, yeah, you, you can really, you know how to do the billing element and you can do all that. But when you come to cut it, we're a high touch organization. That's what we do. It doesn't matter what, 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 what police, fire, utility billing, library, pick a, pick a service. It's high touch. And it, for all the good you do, if you treat your customers poorly or perceive to have, I don't need it. I just don't. I mean, it, it, it diminishes everything you do well. And I'd rather have someone I have to train that can treat customers well or have that empathy in this example because you won't deal with that other stuff. Well, even from the street, you know, when you so many people forget our we we place that same focus. And it sounds like you do as well, even for our street guys, the guys in the street, the the um, the ones repairing water main breaks. They are dealing with the customers under a stressful situation. And we get so many compliments from they were just compassionate. They put our grass back. They cut, you know, how many times have you had somebody come in and they destroy your yard and walk off? And you're like, sure. Well, yeah, thank I mean, you for our, that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, yeah, because our, I mean, even, and that's a great example because we, we've had, I mean, like a growing community, we have contractors hit our water lines. And yeah, people are upset that they're out of water, but that, you know, I do hear the stuff. It's like, and your crew brought my family bottled water because. I couldn't get out of my driveway because that's where the water, that's where the break was. And they brought me water and your fire department was here to, you know, help. And just compassion and understanding. It had that not happened. You go, I wouldn't have necessarily have expected. Did you go and do that? And, and quite frankly, neither do the people, but that's why it leaves a higher impression for some people. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, all that becomes political capital. So when we go back to being risky, or taking chances in a smaller community when people know that your do that your organization is doing the right thing, a lot of latitude, a lot of grace, and that gives you the ability to try to push the envelope where where you can to make a better service. Well, and you're going to have there's going to be things that happen that are not what you had hoped for, right? An interaction <laughs> that went poorly, right? Something like that. <laughs> But like you said, if you've got that investment and nine times out of 10, the council and you and the directors are hearing the positive things that we went above and beyond, it allows for those moments uh, or a glitch that was unintended. It get, yeah. Like you said, it offers grace because you have done so well for so long. And those sto- the, we, Randy and I always talk about the story. The story is getting told. Mm-hmm. So it gives grace when there's a hiccup that, Hey, we're on it. We're going to fix that. But nine times out of 10, it was amazing, right? It was. Yeah. So I think that is really important. You've been gracious with your time. And we, we, but before we, we end and say goodbye, Jason, we yeah. owe it to our audience for you to share, you know, your wisdom. So wherever people are in their leadership journey, they may not be where you are. Um, and maybe they haven't even begun theirs. But what would be some of your best leadership advice for for anybody? 
Uh, I think it starts with knowing yourself. Randy put me on the spot there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he does this all I, the time. I, I, I think it's a great question. I, I think it's first knowing yourself because when I say that, I think you have to know what your non-negotiables are. Uh, because if you're just starting your leadership, I think it's really, re- I don't think you can start any kind of leadership journey if you don't know where your, where your non-negotiables are. And because uh, I think, well, I know in this position or anything else, in any leadership position, there are people who want to question, not question, who want to get around what you're willing to do. They want to find out what you're willing to accept. And I think you've got to know what you're not willing, where you're not willing to go. And I mean, to me, that says a pretty strong barometer. Um, And I think that's kind of like that path, that light that leads, that lights your path. And I think first and foremost, you just, you've got to know, you just got to know what you're not willing to accept. What are some of those for you? Those non-negotiables. Oh, I mean, it's, it's a cornerstone of local government. It's un it's being unethical. It's being unfair. It's being bigoted or biased or, um, it's anything that makes me quite frankly, where I can't look in the mirror, you know, it's do me a favor or do this, you know, make sure this doesn't happen for this person for these reasons. Um, that misuse of power and, and misuse of trust. Um, yeah. so. Good. Well, thanks for that. Sure. So what else? So I'm, I'm, I'm aspiring to be where you are. Maybe, <laughs> I'll I'm, give a, you. Maybe, 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 maybe I'm a direct, maybe I'm a director, maybe mm-hmm. I'm an assistant director, but, but I'm, I'm in the chain. I'm already, sure. I'm already in the leadership chain, but I want to, I want to continue to, to go up. What's your best advice for me? Stay open to the opportunities, uh, particularly in a smaller community. Uh, don't write off a smaller community because you think, you know, it's a step backwards. Um, I mean, I think there's just a lot of opportunity. And quite frankly, let's be real. Um, public service isn't going to be easier going forward. And it's going to need good people. And smaller communities are going to have a talent, a lack of talent sometimes that they're going to be needing good people to help them. And I mean, my, my advice is that if you're, if you, if you think this is at all what you want to do, stay open to the idea, stay open to the possibilities because you may think, well, I'm in this really large established community, you know, it's very stable, you know, it's very risky to go small town. It, it could be, but it could be the greatest thing you ever did. And I mean, if, if you, if you don't live your life with regrets, then stay where you are and, and, your path is what it's supposed to be. But I mean, if you just have to know, and that's what led me is I didn't want to be 40 or 45 and get finally get a chance to be a city manager and go, man, I hate this job. Why did I wait so long? Why I wasted, I mean, I wasted my whole career trying to aspire to something that I didn't like, which is really what, what drove me to say, I, I need to try this. And it's been the greatest thing I've ever done. I'm gonna give you the last word, Lisa. No, I, I think the only thing I was I was curious about that you haven't answered. You talked about you have a lot of tenure. Do you know what the average tenure is close to in your organization? Well, with the growth of it, it it's new. But we have so, um, I mean, in department heads. Well, in, 
and, and direct reports to me, it's greater than 10 years because I have three people that are brand new. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I've got a lot of, I've got a lot of uh, a, a tenure in various parts of the organization. So, but I also have a lot of new people because that's just kind of we're in that growth cycle. Yeah. And I, I was going to ask because we're seeing it, we're big city mm-hmm. and I always talk about just growing and sending them because it's hard to retain people. I came from, you know, in the nineties working to current and we had people stay until the last eight years or so. Mm-hmm. We had people staying with us for 10, 15, 20 years. I mean, you just get people and they stay. And we are finding, I call it the churn now. It's the churn of people, but it's because there's so much movement with COVID people. Yes. Re, you know, they, I call it, re, everybody called it the great resignation. I called it the great reprioritization because they, <laughs> <laughs> reprioritize what was important to them. And many of them chose home. I'm going to stay home and figure out a different way to earn money. Um, and it's, we, we had, they always talk about high unemployment, but at the same point, it that would indicate there's a lot more people looking. I don't know if there are, I think some unemployment they're choosing and some unemployment, they sure. need jobs. I don't think it's all that there's, that it's all about everybody that can't get a job. I think some have just reprioritized and want to be home for differing reasons. And it's not worth it. Some of the culture shifts and some of the things we've seen in companies. It's so great to hear cities like you, uh, cities like us, and I'm sure many others in our listeners Mm -hmm. uh, audience that have great places to work that are looking for people. Um, And this is a a testament to places like you, where you are looking for people that want to stay with you. But the reality is they may leave. They may find something different. We all have that. And we want what's best for them. I just lost my assistant director. I was like, dang it. (laughs) You know, that was great to another. She actually is going to a smaller city to become a director, but great for her. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we're seeing the tenure of people go shorter and shorter. It's not going to be this 20 and 25 years that it used yeah, to be. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think one of the best things that when I think about legacy or things that I want to leave, you know, I want people who apply, who are future employees or current employees of Melissa, when when they apply somewhere else, they're going to go, I, they do it right there. You know, you want them to, you know, carry that, that aura that if someone's going to hire an employee of Melissa, they know that they're going to be, that they will have been trained well. Right. And that it, they will represent that they will represent, and that, so in doing so, they represent us well. That's exactly right. You want us, you want us to produce quality hires for other agencies, so we're increasing the depth and breadth of knowledge, mm-hmm. and we're making city government leadership proud that they are coming. Yeah, uh, they represent us well, like you said. Yeah, and then ultimately, what we're doing is just creating that that recruiting. That, that pipeline. That's right. Because people go, man, if I can get into here, they'll train me well. And if I'm there for two years, 10 years, I'm going to come out with, I mean, it's kind of like in football, it's like being on Nick Saban's staff. You go, yeah, if you can, if you can get on there, then when you leave there, you're going to be probably in a pretty good position. Well, it's two parts and we'll, we can end with that. Two parts. One part is that you're creating a pipeline of better people that we're pushing into city government leadership. So they're quality hires. But secondly, it creates a recruitment pipeline for you because people then know about it and want to work for a place like that. They, they, 
it almost, I mean, we still have to recruit, but so much they hear and open. They're like, I want to be there. I've heard about them. So it, it yeah. makes recruiting so much easier when you have a good culture and it's, and it's known. That's right. That's right. And, and what we don't do a good job with is telling our story, but that's why we got to hope people let leave our organization and say, you know what, they, if you get a chance, go work there. It, it's worth it. Hey, you've been on this podcast, so we're helping. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> we're trying. We're trying. That's and we're right. so thankful. Thank you so much, Jason, for coming on and spending your uh, early afternoon, morning and oh. early afternoon with us. Uh, we really enjoyed the guest uh, being on the show, uh, telling us a little bit about Melissa and your leadership journey. And uh, just thanks for sharing it. I've enjoyed listening, and I'm sure Randy has as well. Well, that, thank you all for you, you giving me the opportunity. Thanks for watching and listening to Grow Great, a city government leadership podcast. For Lisa Norris, I'm Randy Cantrell. Be well, do good, grow great. The website is growgreat.com.